Well, it's 2022. Now, that might not mean much to you because it's getting ready to become 2023. In front of the, the technical way to write that, that year is A.D. 2022. When January 1st comes, we will write A.D. 2023. Now, whether you officially write that or not, we are living under the Gregorian calendar and also under the regnal calendar. And what that means is it's the way we account for days and years and months. When God wrote the book of Genesis in chapter one, he said he, created the, he gave the, created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they were for signs for days and for years. So years are significant. They fall into a category under God of signs and miracles. Now you say, well, what does that A.D. stand for? Does that mean after death and B.C. means before Christ? No, actually B.C. means before Christian era. And A.D. comes from a Latin word, which is anno domini, which means in the year of our Lord. Do you realize every time you say 2022 or 2023, you're saying in the year of our Lord. You see, culture recognizes Jesus as king whether they like it or not. Because when you say 2023, you're acknowledging the validity of a calendar that was established on the year of our Lord. You see, the regnal calendar was a calendar that marked kings. And whenever a king came into power, that was the beginning of a new year. And so when we see Jesus... Uh, and we announce this 2022 or 23, we're saying Jesus is king. In fact, the original official way of saying it was not in the year of our Lord. It was in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our heritage is rich and deep, and it goes beyond just America. It goes way back in time. And so the inauguration of the king is appointed by the year. So in 2023, when you say Happy New Year, you're saying we appoint Jesus King all over again, that he may reign with power and great authority. You see, the birth of Christ, whether people like it or not, was a defining moment, not only in the history of America, but in the history of the world. Imagine all the, the people that don't believe in God, that are anti-God, when they come to grips with the idea that we are announcing the inauguration of the King Jesus. How about the language, Merry Christmas? You know, in America, we say Merry Christmas, but in England, you say Happy Christmas. Leave it to the Americans to, do, to snub the Brits yet one more time. <laughs> but we say Merry largely because of the writings of people like Dickens who, who brought that popularity to literature. It doesn't even sound right to say Happy Christmas, does it? There's something about this idea of Merry Christmas. In fact, Christmas is the most celebrated holiday in the entire world. No, it's not Indigenous People Day. It's not Kwanzaa. It's not any of those things. It's Christmas. It's the proclamation. And that's why we encourage people, whenever someone says to you, Happy Holiday, just remind them it's Christmas. That's what it's all about. It's not a holiday tree. 
Why it's a Christmas tree, amen? You see, Christmas, a lot of times, people say, well, I don't like the idea of Xmas because that's taking Christ out of Christmas. Well, that just shows you're not a student of history. That's all that says. Because you see, actually, the X is from the Greek letter chai, which is where we get our word Christ or Christmas. So if you look, at, if you look up here to the Greek word, you see that X and then it looks like a P? So that's C-H, the R, or the P is an R, I, S, that, that little funny looking thing with a, a, looks like an O with a line on it, that's an S, and then T, and then O, and then you put that S at the end of a letter. So that's Christos. So when you say Xmas, you're literally saying Christ must. Why it began in 1021. They began using that abbreviation. It wasn't the, it wasn't the plot of the New York Times to somehow take Jesus out of Christmas. In fact, when people say Christmas, now you can say, you know what that means? You can say that means Christ is in the middle of Christmas. You see, the Bible acknowledges that Jesus is king. I want to talk to you about the kingship of Jesus today in all aspects of his life. Because if you, if you fail to recognize that Jesus is king, then what authority or what responsibility does he have over your life? When I say Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? When I say Jesus is my Lord, what does that mean to you? When I say Jesus is king, what does that say to you? You see, in Jesus' birth, he was announced that he was king. Jesus Christ is declared king at his birth. He descends from the royal line of King David. People rejected his kingly claims at his crucifixion, but God exalted him to his rightful place of power and majesty and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You see, culture recognizes Jesus, even though, and, and the Bible reflects that culture of the day. It says, For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So this is a king that's not only a earthly king in a sense, but also a heavenly king because it says we have come to worship this king. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. You know, you don't worship someone who's not superior, who's not sovereign, who's not God, who's not king. And they opened their treasures, and they presented gifts to him, gold, of fr gold frankincense, and myrrh. You see, the natural response that when we worship God, when we worship a king, when we acknowledge a king, it, it demands some kind of response on our part. For example, when important people walk in the room, oftentimes we stand. You know, in, in old days when the king came, when you came in the presence of the king, you knelt. And there's always a response. You know, one of the things that's happening today, in fact, never has there been a time when it's been more crucial for the church to stand. We face opposition on every side, whether it's free speech, marriage, gender, or the attack of our children, and might I say especially the attack on our children. You know, it's not, nothing different. 
It was like Herod who ordered the complete destruction of an entire generation of, of boys in order to try to stop King Jesus. And so this idea of infocide or genocide is nothing new. Despotic rulers always try to attack those that are young, those that are weak, and those that are innocent. You see, the enemy knows that if he can confuse a generation, he can control a nation. There is an all-out assault by the most sinister anti-God technology the world has ever seen against our children. The battle we face is spiritual. It's not simply natural. It's spiritual. It's really good versus evil. It is a battle that seeks to take our children from us and give them to the state. You may have seen the story of the young mother that wanted to have surgery done on the baby. But because the, ba- the mother was not vaccinated and the baby was not vaccinated, they literally kidnapped the child in order to complete the surgery and, and with use blood from vaccinated people. Well, you, what does that tell you? Ultimately, it tells you that they don't see that baby as their baby. It sees it as a ward of the state. If children are a ward of the state, then you have no authority over your children. In fact, we see that happening in our schools. We see it happening in our schools where children can make decisions, adult decisions, about their future without even informing the parents. This is the first step toward children becoming wards of the state. Don't think this is happening in isolation. It's happening in your community and it's happening in mine. It's happening in our world. It's happening in this place we call the land of the brave and the free. It's happening everywhere. But I got good news for you. It doesn't have to happen. It can be stopped. One voice sounds like a thousand when it's lifted loud and true in our world today. You see, we refuse to hand our children over to false gods. Instead, we will raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, we will raise up young champions for Christ. I was just at the Christmas party for the kindergarten class, one that I'm especially fond of because I have a granddaughter there. <laughs> and to see them jumping around and talking about Jesus and having fun, not a care in the world, it just brought tears to my eyes. And I thought, you know what? It's for this cause that we exist. When I see the kids up on this stage singing and giving glory to God, I go, it's worth it all. You see, you have to look and say, you know, if you might make it through this evil world as an adult, but will your children, unless you do something about it? See, it always goes back to us, doesn't it? We have to be the parent. I know parents in this generation don't want to be the parents. They want to be the buddies and the friends of their kids. Let me tell you something. My kids are only my friends after they're adults. Until they're adults, I'm the parent. You're the child, and we've got some rules around here. I don't know how many times my dad said to me, if you don't like it, you can move out. I was only seven. (laughs) But there's something about an army colonel when he looks at you and says that, you know he means it. But you see, there is a responsibility we have as adults. You say, well, I don't have any children. Then, then you, what you can do is you can be a parental guide to those around you. I just heard a story about a guy who, was, who, was, who came to Brian, Brian Barcelona's event, and he said, I want to reach youth, and he was 79 years old. He said, tell me how I can reach youth. And they said, well, you, 
the best way to reach him is TikTok. And he said, what's that? And he told him what it was, showed him how to do it. And uh, they thought to themselves, oh my, what is this going to look like? And his, actually, his name on TikTok is Old Guy. <laughs> See, he was a youth pastor when he was young, but time has gone by, and he thought he'd aged out of affecting a culture. So he started posting wisdom and ideas that old guys have about the future and how you can live your life, and he now has 800,000 followers on TikTok. They're ugly, they're not good, the, the, the lettering is bad, but he's got wisdom. See, don't ever think you've aged out. You just haven't found the source to reach people for Christ. Never think, I, well, what can I do? You can do a lot. If a 79-year-old guy can get on TikTok and tell about good stuff that comes from, from time and age and wisdom, why can't you? Amen? Some of you go, what's TikTok? Don't worry about it. You see, the true church, if we said instead we're going to raise up these kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, you know what nurturing is? Nurturing is not letting kids do what they want. Nurturing is helping them to become adults, helping them to walk with wisdom and knowledge and training them in righteousness, amen? You see, the Bible says the true church of the living God, will hell will not prevail against that church. But there's something for the church to do to make sure it doesn't prevail. If the church is like the Lutheran Church of Germany in 1939, it simply collapsed under Adolf Hitler. It became a ward of the state itself. And the church died in Germany. It's still dead in Germany. Why? Because one generation failed to stand in the middle of a storm. You see, Influence Church has been uh, a beacon of life and truth and power for the last 10 years, and it will continue to be not only this generation, but the generations to come, amen? You see, we need every person engaged. This is not, this is not a spectator sport. You know, Christianity is like, you know, boy, I can't wait to get in the stands and watch what's going on. See, no, we have to engage. It's, it's a, everybody is playing. I, I might just say parenthetically, Argentina won the World Cup. I just... I know none of you are interested in that, but I thought I would just mention that to you. They beat the French. It's always good when the French get beat. When we were living in England, we, were, uh, we went to, uh, to Paris the first time. And, you know, no one was very nice, and everyone thought they were special. And then we went down into southern France, and the comment was made that even the French hate the Parisians. So that has nothing to do with his message, but it was something I just wanted to say. <laughs> These things happen, you know. But we need every person engaged in this battle. We all need to pray. Have you prayed for your country lately? Have you prayed for the schools in your community? Have you prayed that God would intervene? Do you realize what would happen collectively if every Christian in the world would pray two minutes a day for their nation? Doesn't sound like much, doesn't? But collectively, imagine how much time that really is. We all need to serve. There's something about putting your hands and, and to the plow and being a part of the problem and the solution that makes a difference. And we all need to give. You see, there's something about being engaged and buying in. Being a part of it. 
You know, we need 100% engagement. To finish out our year this year, we need about a little over $400,000 to finish out the year. And quite honestly, that's a very small amount. You say, well, not for me. But remember, we need 100% engagement. Some of you will give a dollar. Some of you will give $100,000. It's the idea that everyone is engaged. I love it when, when people call and say, Pastor, can, can, I give you, can I give stock to the church? Yes, you can. And you can write checks and you can give land and you can give cars. You can give all kinds of things to the church. We've had land donations. We've had motorcycles, cars. In fact, we have an Escalade we still use that was given to us I don't know, maybe five years ago. It's been one of the most valuable things we've had. We use it almost every day. It's got like 250,000 miles on it, going strong. When we first got it, I had a guy approach me, want to know if we'd sell it. And I said, well, it's got 250,000 miles on it. He said, well, that's fine. I've got one. He said, it's got over 400. I just wanted to upgrade. <laughs> you see, you never know the difference you can make in what you do. When you look into the scripture, not only does it, it talk about uh, Jesus being king in his life, but uh, in his birth, but also in his life. You see, the prophets declared the king was coming. The skeptics, just like they are today, they accused Jesus of treason against Rome, and yet he endured the, the trial, he suffered the cross, and he rose from the dead. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt and the foal of a donkey. In Matthew 27, 11, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. See, Jesus acknowledged that he was God. He acknowledged that he was king. When Philip said to him, show us a father, and that will be enough, Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, God was manifest in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. In his death, the death of Christ is central importance. While we talk about the birth, we cannot stop to remember that he was born to die. We're born and will die, but he was born to die for the sins of his people. Through Christ's death, we are reconciled to God. We are redeemed out of that slave market of sin and brought in to the household of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, culture recognized who Jesus was. In Matthew 27, 37, they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is the king of the Jews. And they did it in three languages so that everyone could understand that this was the king of the Jews. In Mark chapter 15, the chief priest, also mocking among themselves with the scribes, said he saved others himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Little did they know they were going to see, but they would not believe. Because they would take him off the cross, they would put him in a tomb, and three days later, there would be an earthquake that would roll a stone away. In fact, in the Greek, that word stone rolled away is literally a word that means to pick it up and move it to another location, as if divine hands did this. It wasn't to let him out. It was to let everybody in so they could see an empty tomb, amen? 
In his second coming, he'll be announced as king of kings. Jesus Christ will return visibly and in glory at the end of history. And he will raise the dead. He will judge the world. He will destroy evil. And he will establish his kingdom once and for all. You say, well, I'm so frustrated with my world today. Well, remember, it's an unredeemed world. You're not supposed to fit in. You're supposed to stick out. Did you ever think about that? Well, I just wish it would go back the way it was. Well, it won't. The question is, are you going to go back the way you were? Are you going to be transformed by by the power of God into a new and bright and shining star for the glory of God? Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Do you realize when you got saved, if you're saved, you entered into a kingdom that does not end? It's everlasting. And it's, it, its dominion is throughout not only this earth, but throughout the entire universe. And it will not pass away, Daniel says, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. It's an eternal kingdom. Why, in, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16, he's announced as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he your king? He's mine. Is he yours? You see, we're to acknowledge Jesus as king. In Job chapter 9 and verse 32, this is a, this is a guy who gets bad press because all we think about is Job had a bad day, a bad week, and everything went wrong. And when your life is bad, you say, I feel like Job. Well, I doubt if you've ever been that bad. When all your riches have been taken away, your family's wiped out, and you're sitting in the dark, scraping the boils off your skin. And he says, and his wife says to him, curse God and die. And he says, shall we receive good from God and not evil? When I am tried, he will purify me, purify me like pure gold. Think about this guy. He was, this is a guy that lived the same time as Abraham. You think he lived later because the book of Job's in the middle of the Bible. It actually should be in the book of, right next to the book of Genesis if you put it historically. But listen to what Job said. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should go to court together, nor is there a mediator between us who may lay his hand on both. You know who Job was crying out? He was crying out for Jesus. He was crying out for someone who could put his hand on holy God, somebody could put his hand on sinful man and bring the two together and be the mediator or the umpire between the two. You see, his heart was crying out for Jesus Christ. And God gave him that insight going back thousands upon thousands of years. Listen to what Job says in 1925. For I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. He said, I know the Redeemer is coming back, He's going to stand on the earth. He's going to bring God and man together. He's going to be the mediator. Have you ever had a mediator? Couldn't solve a problem, and someone said, well, let me step in and help, see if I can help mediate the problem. You know Jesus is your mediator? Between sinful man and holy God? Look what it says in 1 Timothy 2. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Do you know the only way you can come to faith in Christ is through Jesus? Do you know I'm not a mediator? There's not a priest on planet Earth that's a mediator, according to the Bible. There's not a religious figure that's a mediator. There's only one, and he's Jesus. When you have a sin and you have a challenge in your life, you know who you go to? Your neighbor, your wife, 
your pastor, now you go to God. Say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. You confess your faults to one another, but you confess your sins to God. So you can confess your sins to me all you want. I might get amazed at how bad you are. <laughs> or I might be shocked that you weren't worse. But I can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sin. Amen? See, the only thing that keeps us from God is just sin. It's just, you say, well, I don't, I'm, I'm really, I've had people say, I'm not a sinner. Oh, that's amazing. And I think, they, I think sometimes we think, well, you know, being a sinner means that you commit some really horrible thing in your life, some heinous crime against nature. And I, then I'll say to a person, I'll say, well, if you ever lied, and they'll think a minute, and I say, now, be careful. Don't lie to me now. Well, yeah, I've lied. I say, that's a sin. Really? Yeah. You ever been angry? Uh, yeah. Well, that's, not, that's another one. We got two. I think if we stay with this, we can get a whole list. What do you think? You see, until you can establish in your own life that you fall short of the glory of God, you can't be saved. You can't come into the kingdom. But the moment you say, I, I confess that I am a sinner, now you've got room for a Savior in your life. Amen? I want you to stand with me, and I want to I just lead you through a prayer right now. A really simple prayer that just brings together this idea of Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our King, Jesus as our Lord. You can pray this prayer right out loud where you are, where you stand, where you sit, and pray it with faith, believing that God can answer that prayer. Bow your head with me and say this, just speak it out. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that you died were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Send your Holy Spirit to fill my heart and my soul and give me power and authority as your child. In Jesus' name. Now, before you, I say amen, would you just thank him right now in your own words? If, that, if you prayed that prayer and you asked Christ, would you just thank God in your own words right now where you are? If that was your prayer and you prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand with me and just say, Pastor, that was my prayer today. God bless you, all of you. God bless you all. Thank you, God. I want you to know that once you enter into the kingdom of God, you're a child of the living God. Mark this date down, it's a birthday. You say, birthday, yeah, you were born again on December 18th, 2022, in the year of our Lord, amen? Give him glory, give him praise.